welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on the podcast app of choice, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a writer for Wrestling Headlines and Lords of Pain, also a podcaster. It's Miz Fan and making his second appearance. And we're looking at John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston, the I Quit match for the AEW World Championship from Full Gear 2020. How are you going today, Mizzy? Uh, greetings, Fist Fan fans. I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm glad to be back on the show. Uh, it was very fun last time, and this time we're talking about a match that I love even more than that other one, so I'm very excited. Excellent. If you haven't listened to it, I did have Ms. Fan on. He was the very first guest, the birth of this show, when I contacted him and said, I'm thinking about doing this podcast. Can you just have a chat with me, and we'll see how it goes. I've got an idea, but I just want to know if it'll work for us or not. And that became Chris Jericho versus Cody Rhodes, the very first episode that launched this mothership that's you know going off into space thankfully <laughs> thank you to the listeners so if you if you like listening to Ms. fan you can listen to him on that episode as well um but Ms. fan we're here as i said to talk about moxley versus eddie kingston and you said this is a match that's near and dear to your heart mizzy why did you choose this match today well in a, apart from the match just being exceptionally good and uh, i really do think that even without any background you can come to this match and really enjoy it a lot uh but for me it is elevated further and that is because uh it is the pay-per-view main event the world title shot of one eddie kingston a man that uh, i have loved for years a man that i had entirely resigned myself to the fact that this guy is just going to be a forgotten talent like people will discover him and 20, 30 years and be like, how did he never get a shot? Because it's just never going to happen. And then by God, in the last uh, probably not even two years, miracles have happened for this guy. But it's not really a miracle because I think if you watch Eddie Kingston for more than five minutes, you got to know this guy has all the talent in the world. So just watching this the first time, I was euphoric that I was actually like, I could hardly believe Eddie Kingston main event of a pay-per-view for a national company, all this stuff. Just this match is burned into my memory. I absolutely love everything about it, how it came about. I'm just, uh, I'm over the moon for it. Yeah, and what a match it is. I cannot wait to dive into it. But as you said, like you're a long-term fan of Eddie Kingston. For me personally, I saw him in NWA very briefly when they were first launching their YouTube show. I watched that and I saw him and I saw, man, this guy can talk. But, you know, I you know, didn't watch a lot of NWA after that. So I, I he sort of dropped off the radar again for me. And then, of course, he showed up on AEW, just exploded onto the screens and, and made – an absolutely undeniable case for himself in, you know, a minute of exposure. But obviously, as you said, he is someone who, and as he does, he will always say, he is someone who has been grinding for a long, long time. Miss Fan, can you, as someone who has been following for a long time, can you tell us 
who is Eddie Kingston? Where does he come from uh, and why do you love him? Oh, absolutely. I'll try to be uh, relatively succinct because I could probably go on and on and on. But uh, I discovered Eddie Kingston in, uh, God, probably 2014 because that's uh, really when I got into uh, the now defunct Chikara. Um, you know, I'll throw out they had their uh, problems. They shut down. You know, it's an entirely different conversation. You know, leave it aside for now. Eddie Kingston was a big centerpiece of Chikara for many years, actually uh, debuting there in 2002, trained by... Chris Hero, I believe, and by uh, Mike Quackenbush, who who ran Chikara at the time, and uh, probably some others. But um, coming in in 2002, and for years, working at Chikara, working in uh, CZW and other promotions, all these different places, he had this gift, this gift of, uh, uh, of the ability to talk, to do these promos. And, you know, this is not a recent thing. It's wild to think. He got signed to AEW at, what, 39 years old? But you go back to, like, 2005 even, and he's brilliant. He's just wonderful. So for more than a decade, I mean, you want to talk about real grinding, it's definitely Eddie Kingston. And uh, we know even more now kind of about his uh, personal situation from that wonderful article that he wrote uh, some time ago. Yes, one of the best things that I have read in conjunction with wrestling. So for me... Coming in 2014, Chikara did this big controversial angle where the company shut down for a while. And uh, Eddie Kingston was the champion at the time during the shutdown. He was the grand champion. And uh, despite coming into the reign as a face, and uh, if you've never seen his promo before the title win and the match itself, I believe they're on YouTube. It is just bone tingling stuff. Just wonderful, wonderful stuff that is uh, free for everyone out there to check out. So please do consider doing so. Um, he'd become really obsessed with keeping this title, whether the promotion was even active or not. He was calling it her, really uh, personifying it almost, and just uh, the hmm. way he defended that title. Interesting. Well, you can imagine. You've seen the character work Eddie Kingston can do. So just, just checking that out alone. No, I, the, the, the reason I just said interesting is just how Tommaso Ciampa, like, so seamlessly lifted that, right? Because he's – right. Absolutely. forgive me if I'm wrong, but he's he would have been around Chikara at that time. Sure, he's worked Chikara ah, before. Ah, uh, great, great. So, uh, I, I actually – How funny professor is, man. <laughs> yep. Nothing's new in wrestling, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> from somewhere, so um, – but, yeah, so I was just entranced by this guy at A. Kingston – he doesn't look exactly how a pro wrestler should look. You know, at times he's been a little out of shape, all this stuff. It was touched on in that beautiful CM Punk feud that we just recently had, which uh, yielded another one of my favorite AEW matches ever. At some point, you're going to have to update your uh, list because we got so many new classics to go over in AEW already. But Eddie Kingston, he's everything you see in AEW and more. And just if you're impressed with the work he's done in AEW over the last I don't know, 18 months maybe. Just remember, there's like 15 or more years of Eddie Kingston being exactly this good out there. And uh, just the fact that it took so long for him to get this break is shocking. But I, I am very glad that he is now where he has come to. Miss Fan, you mentioned there that he doesn't look like a pro wrestler. But one thing that he has that I think is 
so pro wrestling and is perfect for pro wrestling is just the how authentic he feels in the persona that he delivers and me and ray cash were talking about this when we looked at the proud and powerful in the the bar the parking lot brawl against best friends and and ray cash summed it up perfectly about like these guys who come out of new york and this attitude is burned into every single thing that they do the way they walk the way they stand the way they talk the way they look at you like there's just this menace and this attitude behind it. And it can work for them as like fiery faces and it can work for them as like the most threatening heels. And both of us agree that Eddie Kingston is like the absolute period, like he's the pinnacle of that, of that attitude and that authenticity. And, and that like is so pro wrestling. We want our pro wrestlers to be tough and we want, we want to believe in what they're doing in the ring. And you believe every single thing that Eddie Kingston does from how he carries himself and how he talks. I don't know if I can think of a more sincerely emotional wrestler or maybe even just sincerely feeling, but I mean, this is a guy, it feels like his heart is on his sleeve all the time for better or for worse. Yeah. You know? Perfect, perfect description of it. <laughs> the hurt that he feels, the joy that he feels, uh, you know, everything you feel it as well. He has that aura around him and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Eddie uh, has talked about himself many times, in addition to being very influenced by uh, 90s All Japan and all that stuff. Uh, ECW was enormous for him, and I feel there's some connection between him, and if you've ever seen kind of the ECW work of Mick Foley, and if you've followed Mick Foley's Mm -hmm. creative process over the years, it's not a one-to-one thing, but Mick Foley also could be just heart-wrenchingly sincere at times, uh, mm-hmm. he would draw on real emotion and he could get that across so that you would feel it as well. That is definitely a huge strength of Eddie Kingston. Yeah, and funnily enough, these are all of the things that I love about my favorite wrestler, who the, the <laughs> longtime fans will know is John Moxley, uh, who is who Eddie Kingston has come is coming up against here. Before we get into the actual build to this match and the actual match, these two have a previous relationship and they have previously faced each other. Mizzy, have you watched any of those matches? Have you absorbed those matches? What do you know of them? I, I can't say that I really know too much of them. They certainly have had their connections in life. I don't know if they even wrestle each other that often. Uh, I believe it would probably be back in uh, CZW, yep. which I simply yep. not watch that much of. Uh, it's kind of a weird uh, promotion that, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it does some interesting things, but just not something I've gone into deeply. Some, some uh, real high but, highs and some real low lows. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Absolutely. <laughs> and with as much wrestling as there is out there, uh, you know, you can't watch it all. Not even I. But the fact that I was hardly really even aware of this when they brought it in and how quickly they got it over uh, is just another testament to both of them. Mm -hmm. And you're very right to praise John Moxley as well, because this match wouldn't have been possible in the way it was done without his amazing work. Mm -hmm. Well, look, we've started we've started on this road. Let's jump in before we actually get to the build for the match, though. Let's give this match its flowers. Big Papa Dave gave it 4.25 of the big ones cage match. They've currently got it rated at 8.06. And when we did, did the definitive match guide back in 2021, 
it came in as at 19th out of the top 50 matches there. Now, of course, as we said, this match came about almost uh, on... It was almost impromptu, at least initially. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston ended up facing each other when Lance Archer had a positive COVID sample and couldn't fight John Moxley for the championship. Eddie Kingston quickly won a match, cut a promo, <laughs> um, and talked his way into a championship match against John Moxley, with which John Moxley, being the fighting champion that he is, he accepted. And John Moxley won, choking Eddie Kingston out with a bulldog choke. Now, that's where this match build really begins because the next week, um, or it may not have been the next week, in, in within the next few weeks, Eddie says he didn't quit. He didn't tap out. And he actually blames Bryce Remsburg, pulls Bryce Remsburg out, calls him out, gets him to come out on air to make him answer for it. Now, Mizzy, I'm going to stop at that point. You mentioned you fell in love with Eddie in Shikara which is a promotion that is near and dear to your heart, I know. Bryce Remsburg played a, a very prominent role in Shikara. He was one of the referees there. Can you give us a, an idea of what Eddie and Bryce's history is? Well, first, I do just want to give uh, tremendous love to Bryce Remsburg himself. He is a guy that uh, I have met at a couple of shows, um, selling merch, you know, at Shikara and such, and uh, he is a delightful person. I've done a couple of podcast interviews with him. If you ever see him, he loves Swedish fish, the candy. So that's just a, uh -huh. a shout out. To Way to get on his good side. <laughs> yeah, if you if you need to, yeah. Um, just a wonderful man. He was a very in-depth interview with me while he was driving to like an indie show to referee some matches. So uh, just a very, very nice person. Um, yes, also a huge mainstay of Chikara coming in uh, pretty much the same time as Eddie Kingston back in 2002. So these guys have tremendously long history together and uh it's been a delight i just had to say to see bryce remsburg not only also get recognized uh in this uh top level and is now kind of beloved by everyone but just to see the way the matches that he's chosen for the interactions he have is there a more heartwarming moment this year than ruby soho looking over after winning her debut and saying hi bryce and hugging him and they also have that Chikara connection. So uh, just a wonderful person. Got to give him his flowers. And if you've never seen him uh, referee uh, the Invisible Man versus uh, the other Invisible Man, Incredible. strange as it may sound, <laughs> that is a masterpiece. So uh, Bryce Remsburg, definitely responsible for that. Uh, as far as their relationship goes, Kingston and Remsburg, I mean, what more can you say? They've known each other for uh, almost 20 years. They've done everything together. Bryce became a, an integral part of this feud, in my opinion. You, you just watch Bryce mm. in yep. this match and the emotion for him as well. Never hogging mm. the spotlight, but just if you see him, man, he, he is an essential part of what makes this so good, I think. And and just even this promo here, like, he is not – well, he's obviously been to, like, wrestling school and, and been around wrestlers, but he's not someone who's ever promoed – on a in AEW before and he just looks at Eddie and with just such sincerity just says look Eddie when you're in the ring and I'm the referee our relationship is is gone it's not it's not there and I've got to look after you uh and that's what I was doing by calling that match off which of course Eddie doesn't accept uh and he then he then calls out Moxley um says that Moxley left Eddie and their old friendship behind. He sold his soul 
forgot about him, disrespected the pro the business of pro wrestling, and starts call him calling him the sports entertainer. And in a fantastic moment, he just says, "Bring out the sports entertainer." Moxley comes out and he says they're a lot alike. They've had similarities early on, but the difference between them uh, is that he takes responsibility for his shortcomings, but Eddie would prefer to make excuses. So like really like very cutting words. Um, He says he stood beside Eddie as Eddie burned down bridge after bridge and says in response that Eddie threw Moxley's success back in his face, made him try to feel guilty about his success that he earned fairly and through hard work. Mizzy, can you just talk about the incredible fire that these two had, even just in their initial promos? And we'll get to the face-to-face that they had just heading into full gear, which is even better. Just just talk me through how you, you were feeling going through this. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, with Eddie Kingston, like, all you need to do is give this man a microphone and he's going to make some magic. And this is – it's funny because I had actually forgotten – that this whole match and this feud, it basically happened by accident. Like it was never supposed to happen. <laughs> like you could say that about so much of Eddie Kingston's AEW run. Uh, he only got uh, a match with Cody because he randomly cut a promo that kind of went viral and people noticed it. He only got this title match because he was a replacement. He did a promo, you know, all this stuff only happens because Eddie Kingston basically willed it into existence because he has magic coming out of his mouth whenever he opens it. It's so great. This promo, all their promos together is so good. And this is what, and I know you may like some of these years, so I don't want to give offense, but when WWE (laughs) is doing their so-called reality era, uh, I was often very turned off because I felt like the execution was never what it should have been. Like the idea of incorporating reality in wrestling, of course, can be done so well and it can be done so wrong also. And we've seen examples of both. And this is, This is sublime, I think, because Mm -hmm. they are using these kernels of truth, their friendship, the fact that, yes, Eddie Kingston uh, had tumultuous relationships with uh, promoters at times, all this stuff. They're incorporating it so well, and yet they're never kind of crossing over this line to where it's not about the wrestling anymore. It's not about like kind of the cutesy like winks or whatever Mm. you might have. It just has that feeling of authenticity. And I will take authenticity over reality any day. I'll just say it that way. Mm. Yeah. And and look, that feeling of authenticity, that fire, it only got elevated when they finally have a, they have like a proper face-to-face in the ring. The things I was talking about previously, they're sort of done between video back and forth, but they going into full gear, they have a face-to-face in the ring and there's, it's just incredible stuff where Moxley brings up that he promised Eddie's mum that he would look after Eddie and Eddie talks about how he's promised that he's going to win this championship and take it home to his mother. Who's like the most important person in his life. And Moxley's saying like, you've done the worst thing because I'm going to win this and I'm going to make you a liar to the most important person in your life. Eddie is like shaking with rage. He can't even look Moxley in the face. Uh, And Moxley gets like right up behind them, behind him, talking into his ear. It's just so intensely personal, that word authentic, which we're just going to be like banging on like a nail for both men. 
Because like with Moxley, we've talked a lot about Eddie Kingston, but with Moxley, you've got this incredible character. He is someone who will fight and scrap and claw, but he also has like his own moral code. And he respects guys like, you know, Darby Allen, for example, or he respects a guy like Eddie Kingston because he knows the hard work that Eddie's put in and he knows that like at his core who Eddie is and he spent so much time with him. I, I do think Moxley is like an extension of his shield character and the 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 history of AEW is the history of wrestling in general. It, it's the same as like why John Moxley, even though he fought Seth Rollins to the bitter end, he always knew who Seth was at his heart because they'd been in they'd been in wars together, they'd been in battle together, and that's the same with Eddie here. And in this promo, you know that he is telling the truth. You can see that he is probably the better fighter. He, you can see that he cares for Eddie, but that even though he cares for Eddie and respects Eddie, he will win this. He's not just going to give this thing that he's worked so hard for away. Uh, and there's a lot that you can engage with there as for, for him as a champion and as a person. Uh, and same with Eddie, even though Eddie was ostensibly playing a heel at the time, like he's got so much heart and he's got so much passion and you can't help but be engaged by his overall story. And you can't help but understand where he comes from because, you know, these two have come from such a similar background and with a couple of different twists of fate, uh, and a couple of different things going in Eddie's favor, then maybe Eddie Kingston is John Moxley. Like maybe he is the person who, you know, makes millions and becomes the WWE champion and, and fights in WrestleMania on the biggest stage and then becomes like such a pivotal figure for early AEW and is the AEW champion reigning and, and pulling the company through the COVID period. Like a, a few things go right for Eddie and, and that could possibly have been him. So you understand his bitterness. Uh, and in this promo and in these back and forth, there's just so much intense personal drama. And, and you mentioned how reality doesn't hit as well. Like for me, this intense personal drama, like I'll eat this up every day of the week over something like even even something that's done well, like say another promo segment that has got a lot of praise was punk versus mjf punk and mjf on the mic but man i will take this every day of the week over like those two insulting each other agreed and i really enjoyed the punk mjf stuff but yeah it was it was still good yeah yeah <laughs> at the same time i have to agree i see all these uh questions is this the greatest promo that aw's ever done i'm like man it's not even the greatest <laughs> promo that cm punk has been involved in this <laughs> year so let's calm down for a second um but no, yeah, I love it. Definitely an enduring image of Eddie Kingston so mad that he has to look away because he's going to do something that he'll regret. Mm. And just uh, he's fidgeting and, you know, you see the feeling in him and Moxley is talking behind him. I love that. This is, I believe, the promo where Kingston says he can't give his mother a, a grandchild because of like the, the way he lives his life, mm. basically. Yep. But he's going to give her this world title. And man, like, what a thing to lay on yourself, to lay on this feud. Like, whew, it's so good. Yeah. And one thing that I love about John Moxley is how intensely personal he makes all of his feuds. Yeah. They all become 
really personal to him because of his character. And this is like, this is the pinnacle of it, right? This is such a great example of it. And and another nice thing that I love in this, which speaks to Eddie Kingston's character and like the respect he has for pro wrestling and how he holds pro wrestling with such reverence is that he tells his associates not to interfere in this match. Mizzy, just before we get to it, is there anything more you'd like to say about the build to this match? Uh, and then we'll get to what actually happened on the day. Just that it's superb. Let's get oh, to the yeah. match. Yep. <laughs> okay, so Eddie, of course, at full gear, it's the main event. It's the the final match of the evening. Eddie comes out to his, like, DMX adjacent theme song. He's wearing green and silver. Mizzy, what's the meaning behind these colours, the green and silver? Well, uh, I can hear in my head probably Excalibur explaining it because uh, yep. <laughs> he's the type of play. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Eddie Kingston... You just have to check out his Twitter feed at any time to know what a fan he is of uh, 90s All Japan, of King's Road, of the Four Pillars. And it's funny because he always says Kobashi is his favorite uh, of the pillars, but his gear is usually um, Kawada style. It's the black and yellow, and you can see in his wrestling, that is definitely a really huge influence for him. But that silver and green, that is Misawa, that is the uh, ace of All Japan, the man who held the championship more times and longer than anyone else. So he is saying to all who know, I will be the champion. I will be the ace tonight. It's a beautiful touch. And I absolutely mm. love that. Mm. And Mox, of course, gets his, you know, standard entrance going through the kind of crowd, <laughs> I say with quotation marks <laughs> around it, but coming in from the outside, very pumped up. There were some fans in attendance and they're making noise for, for Mox and also for Eddie as well. As you said, really nice touch with the colours for Eddie, particularly you mentioned the weight that he's putting on himself with this match, right? He's putting on himself. He's got to present this to his mother because he can't give him a kid. He's now like taking on the persona, taking on the colors of this mythical figure in his mind going into this championship match. So, you know, this is all going to weigh very heavily on him. And of course, who's officiating? Bryce Remsburg is officiating their second meeting for the World Heavyweight Championship. One of my least favorite things in modern wrestling, and, you know, it doesn't always happen, but I feel like it happens more now than in the past, is when you get the feeling that if somebody loses a major match, it doesn't really mean anything. Like, it's not going to hurt them. They're not going to feel that loss. And you definitely know whoever loses this match is going to be feeling just intense loss, far beyond the mm. physical pain that they're going to go through here. Yeah, absolutely, because... We've talked about the weight Eddie's putting on himself, but Moxley is someone who, the way I've described his character at times is almost like a blue-collar worker. You know, he's someone who has intense pride in the hard graft that he does. You know, he feels like he is a master craftsman building a cabinet and is putting so much love and effort. He's sacrificing his body. He's sacrificing his time for what he does. And this is something that we're going to see after this match, that he is going to go to extraordinary lengths to try and reclaim. This is something that means a lot to him as well. And being the champion and, and having that acknowledgement and, the, and that pride in his work. Uh, the two immediately start trading strikes. The commentators talk up how both men are like the two hardest strikers in AEW, which I like. They grapple on the canvas. Eddie's like immediately biting Moxley's ear before they go back to striding at the sec striking at the center of the ring. What did you think of the the chemistry these guys had early on and this initial back and forth? 
it was just what I wanted to see. I mean, these guys are both tooth and nail fighters. I mean, like yep. you said, and like they said, um, they are similar. There is a feeling that in a different world, Eddie Kingston could have been John Moxley. And I think there's kind of a hidden thread in this match that Eddie Kingston really wants to prove that, you know, that like, well, I could have been you. I could have been anything you were and better if these doors hadn't been shut in my face unfairly. And he really puts that forward. He's so vicious in this, but mm. Moxley, like, you know, he's got his personality on the line here as well. And I think also he knows if Eddie Kingston beats me here, I'll probably never get him back because he will be off like in Eddie Kingston land, you know, following this track and I will never be able to repair this. So beyond just like the vicious physicality, just the emotion they even put into like the, the early brawling, it gets across so well. I think the only possible complaint I have about this match is I so wish it could have been in front of a real crowd. And that's, mm. you know, I'm present for most of these COVID era shows and it is what it is and it's still wonderful. But yeah, just like the emotion here. I'd love to see it in front of a, a, an arena full of people. Mm, yeah, because both men are, get such an intense response from AEW crowds. Yes. And this in front of a, a big crowd would be spine-tingling stuff. And who knows, maybe we, we will get to see it, which is an interesting thing, given something we're going to talk about right at the end of this podcast. So foreshadow that. <laughs> um, so Eddie's he's the first one to get a weapon, going for a chair but he doesn't get to use it. Instead, Moxley, like, throws it at him, just hurls it at his face and goes for Eddie's fingers, like, trying to give him the um, – do the finger break and, and tries to make him quit with that. Obviously, it doesn't work. Um, but I wanted to say, like, you're the one who knows more about Eddie Kingston's character than anything. What did you think Mox would have to do to make him quit going into this match? Oh, I mean, going in, I was relatively sure Eddie Kingston wasn't going to win the world title just because – of how AEW books, of how Kingston mm-hmm. kind of got into that position. It would have been a big jump for him to win the title. As happy mm. I would have been, I wasn't expecting it. There were people Moxley, predicting it. There were people predicting that it I, could happen. That's like, the magic of Kingston. Yeah. I do remember that some people, like, in the 11th hour were kind of turned over and be like, man, will they pull an audible? Will they put it on Kingston? Because mm-hmm. he's been that good. I love that. I didn't really buy in, but I, I kept the door open for the mm. possibility but I figured Mox was going to have to take out Kingston and God, I didn't know. Like I, I was on uh, the edge of my seat cause I needed to see something that would justify Kingston mm. giving up. And there's not a whole lot that can do that. Mm. And I will say that in this Excalibur is so good. Like he delivers this one little line that just gives me tingles. Um, he talks about how personal this match is for him saying like how proud he is of both men saying how like he used to ride with them, how proud he is of them to see where they've come, but also how nervous it is because he knows them uh, and he knows how far both men will go. And then he also name drops like two wrestlers that have passed that both of them had a lot to do with Tracy Smothers and Larry Sweeney. Um, Mizzy, do you know anything about those two and, and how they sort of fit into the picture? Thank you for reminding me that they're part of this match in spirit. Um, Tracy Smothers is, uh, uh, in my mind, a very legendary name, kind of an underappreciated hidden gem type of guy. But uh, if you go back, you can see him in uh, WCW in certain years. You can see him in ECW in certain years. Uh, he did all this stuff. He has a just sublime match with the Midnight Express in, I think, 1990. So, 
you have Peacock or Network or whatever, go dig it up. It's on one of the pay-per-views. I don't remember off the top of my head, but just a wonderful worker who had kind of a, a almost Terry Funk-like second career on the indies where he was a bit older, but just when he passed, which was very close to this match, I believe, uh, you just saw the outpouring of love from all independent wrestlers of that era. Not one bad word about him, about how giving he was, how good he was, how experienced he was, and just uh, helping everyone around him get better anywhere that he showed up. Uh, so I have huge love for Tracy Smothers, and I'm really glad that uh, they were able to shout him out in this match. Larry Sweeney, my God, Larry Sweeney uh, passed away, um, unfortunately committed suicide in uh, 2011, I believe, suffered pretty heavily from, uh, I want to say, manic depressive disorder, something to that effect. But I'll say, if that had not happened, Larry Sweeney would be standing next to Eddie Kingston mm. in AEW right now, taking the world by storm, because he is every bit as good a promo as Eddie Kingston is in an entirely different way as well. This guy is a, a complete Bobby Heenan slash Ric Flair slash a little bit of Dusty Rose, a little bit of Ted DiBiase, like throwback, beautiful wrestler, manager, promo type guy who uh, was just one of the best talents of his generation, I would say. And just, just endlessly clever, endlessly good on the microphone and um, it's just a damn shame. Eddie Kingston's best friend, a loss which has definitely affected him, I think, a lot over the years. And, God, just two names that could not be more worthy of praise. So I would say mm. if you are not familiar with either of these guys, please check them out. And, yes, thank you to Excalibur, who I always value for making comments like this. Just beautiful stuff. Mm. And... I think Eddie brought both of those up. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. In the, uh, in the build-up as well, um, when he, particularly when he was talking about how Moxley, like, disre- who Moxley disrespected, he mentioned the, the friends they have that have fallen and how Moxley leaving to go off to the world of sports entertainment was disrespecting the the legacy of the friends that they've they've got that had fallen so yeah real real heavy stuff this like there's a lot of emotion in this match man there's so much emotion yeah he walked around with these names on his back i think you know all the time uh, it's just uh he's like the you know the lone cowboy he's carrying a heavy weight you know on his Mm. saddle all the time and you can feel that and see that yeah, and and like this is a just a brawl. It's just a fight. They, a lot of it's going on outside. Eddie gets two chairs out, but Mox and Moxley gets out a barbed wire baseball bat, hits Eddie, and like then grinds it in his forehead. Both men are bleeding at this point. Moxley from his forehead, Eddie out of his mouth. What did you think of the like the level of violence of this match? I just want to praise how rough this match was, if that exactly makes sense. I yeah. love a match. Um, there are a lot of matches now that look extremely polished, and obviously there is a benefit to that. Earlier the same night, there is an exceptionally polished match between the Young Bucks and FTR, which I think you may have covered recently mm. yeah. on this same podcast. And, you know, it's a match where everything is in its place, like everything 
they're doing like these complicated moves all in sync in tandem, all these callbacks. It's all like very carefully considered. And some people love that. It's not exactly my favorite, but you know, you can respect the amount of polish and kind of planning that goes into that. This is exactly the opposite kind of match. A throwback could be like classic NWA eighties. They're just being rough in there. They're being wild. They're absolutely given a totally different feel. It's very gritty. And I really, really appreciate that. I love that about this match. Yeah, I love the the escalation of violence in this. They don't go straight to the worst stuff. They pace it out really well. Even though we're saying like it's brawling and it's wild, they give you time to breathe when each piece of violence happens. You know, like there's biting, there's eye gouging, choking. Eddie removes like some barbed wire and rats around his head so he can do more damage with strikes. But both of them are so expressive with their with their selling and with their facial expressions in particular that you have space in between to feel the weight of each piece of violence that's done and then get to the next escalation of this like eddie popping his tongue out just eyes popping out of his skull and, and moxley like just gritting his teeth with blood dripping down his face such beautiful intense and gritty is the perfect word for it gritty visuals absolutely you know i love grit in my wrestling always <laughs> and, uh, I'll just say I really appreciate how they are never, you know, they're rough, but they're never um, kind of careless with the violence they mm. do. Like, it all means something. Um, and I don't just mean the execution of the moves. I mean, just like you say, the way they react to these moves. Nothing is kind of just thrown away. Nothing is kind of just, like, thrown out there. All of these things, they cause mm. pain. They cause damage. They accumulate. They climax through the match. Underneath kind of the rough and tumble violence like, it's an extremely well-structured match in mm. and of itself. Yeah, I once actually read something about John Moxley. I'm not sure where Eddie Kingston stands on this, but something about John Moxley, about how even though, like, he is a very is involved in a lot of really violent matches, he's actually a wrestler who has a lot of respect for the working aspect of things, like the working punch, for example, and, and getting it so that you're not actually chinning someone every time you try and punch them. You're getting that Jerry Lawler, that Terry Funk jab that, mm-hmm. that looks so good, but it's just really, really snug. Even though he's been in, you know, like these wild wars with guys like Ishii or Suzuki or this one with Eddie Kingston or the one with Brody Lee that we talked about a while ago, he is someone who isn't just saying, well, we'll just hurt each other and make it look real by, you know, (laughs) by just actually having a fight. He's someone who does like to work, even though he's in these really wild matches. Indeed. And I mean, this is a guy who pre-WWE, pre-FCW, was doing a lot of full-out death matches. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how he gets into these violent situations because he has this history (laughs) and... uh, you can find clips of uh, some pretty gnarly things oh, happening yeah. to John Moxley. <laughs> so that might be a little much for me, honestly. But, yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I love how much he respects the basics. Guy's got, the guy's got a great working jab, but he'll uh, still really powerwomb you through some thumbtacks. So he'll hit you with some glass. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Swim, I, I think you're know, probably so fair. Like, Maybe I'm, 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 I'm drinking a bit too much of the Moxley Kool-Aid there. I think you're right, Missy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one particularly violent spot I wanted to bring in because I'd never seen this before and I wanted to know if you have. You've watched way more wrestling than me. Eddie brings in some thumbtacks. I, I just love with thumbtacks, like they elevate a match so much because they spread them out and then all of a sudden 
there's a corner of the ring where you just can't do anything. And every time they go near it, the crowd's just like, <gasps> they're going to go on thumbtacks because everyone's stepped on one of those things. You know how much one hurts, let alone, you know, hundreds of them stabbing into your back. Moxley goes into them. Eddie suplexes Moxley into them and then goes to the outside and rolls back in with rubbing alcohol and pours that all over Moxley. Have you ever seen something like that before? Like, this is an I Quit match. It fits the psychology perfectly. But, oh, man, it just looks like it sucks so much. <laughs> I have once in a while uh, seen something like that. And uh, I-, I appreciate how well it was executed here because I've seen times where it kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit. Uh, but in this case, yeah, I think it really added to the match. So very not very common. Um, probably our first time seeing it in a promotion as big as AEW. Yeah, and uh, at this point, there's also, like, attacks just sticking out of the forehead of John Moxley, oh. which is just, like, it's such, such a gross look. Uh, right. and I, I, just, I also pop for thumbtacks yeah. pretty much always, just because, like, it's got to be hell to, like, work with these. I would mm. never, uh, you know, if, if anyone ever chose not to work with thumbtacks, I would fully support it. But those that choose to, like, I pop for that, so. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Jericho tells a story of how they did it in the WWE because, of course, they were the, for the first two for years and years to do thumbtacks in the WWE and still I'm pretty sure the only ones who've done it since, you know, like maybe Mick Foley in like 2008 or two. No, not even that, like even longer than that. But uh, he says Dean was like petitioning, petitioning, like pushing, pushing, pushing to try and get to use them. And then they got to the match. And he got the go ahead and he, and, and he told Chris Jericho and Chris Jericho realized, oh, wait, I'm going to be, have to be the one that takes these because I'm the heel. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, props to him. He did it and, and he, he made it like he did it even, he, he counted them and he made them into a story, like made it into a facet of his character and they referenced <laughs> it. Like, yeah. Say what but, you will about Jericho, but, you know, this is a guy who had a pizza cutter. Oh, uh, far out, his yeah. head earlier this year. So, you know, yeah, he'll definitely. do what it takes to get the match yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love – and the next beat of the story of this match, I, I love. Eddie's almost, like, out of ideas at this point. Um, He's, like, almost like, what can I do? And he goes to a bulldog choke, the, the move that beat him, which – I just love that little bit of symmetry and how when he's lost, he's like, okay, well, I'll just do the thing <laughs> that I got beaten by, whether that's like a conscious choice or subconscious, who knows. Mox then reverses that bulldog into a pile driver, but he can't get Eddie to quit. And then Moxley just takes the barbed wire, wraps it around his arm, tells Eddie there's no way out. And Eddie just gives him the finger before Mox wraps that thing around his neck chokes him out with a barbed wire assisted bulldog choke moxley screaming it's over eddie it's over it's done eddie's crying but quits what did you think of the ending is oh it was perfect it was uh, yeah. about as good as it possibly could have been i thought the ending may be the best part of the whole match it's certainly mm. one of my most enduring visuals because yeah just uh the fact that Moxley has to do a move, which you know is also hurting him. Yeah, yeah. And he applies it to Kingston, and he knows it's going to hurt him just that much more. I feel like that perfectly encapsulates the spirit of this battle, where both mm. guys were really willing to go through hell, and they just wanted to show that they could go just a little bit farther. 
it's great. Moxie's great. Kingston's great. Bryce is great because he's almost crying mm. too, I think. And um, it's just a beautiful scene. Yeah. And that scene is only added to even more as Moxley picks up Eddie afterwards. He's trying to like say, look, this is over. We can be friends again. But Eddie pushes him off, refusing his help. Just beautiful execution. We talked about how personal this build-up was, how intense the rivalry was. Just like this ending with Moxley saying, it's over, there's no way out. Look, you have more than earned my respect here. Let's put this behind us. Let's just finish it. This is over. And Eddie's like has to agree with him, but his every inch of him is is so saddened by that because he knows he came to the top of the mountain but just couldn't get it done. He couldn't plant the flag like he wanted to and like he'd put all this weight on himself to do. And what a guy to be able to cry like that and and just add so much emotion to the match. Yeah, I mean, I always feel that Eddie Kingston, um, these emotions come from that real place, that authentic mm. place, if you will. So just being in this position, ah, uh, you know, I, you get that raw feeling on your heart, and uh, it's just beautiful. And, yeah, I love mm. as well that he turned away Moxley at the end because you know a guy like Eddie Kingston, uh, even though he quit, he's probably disgusted with himself at that moment. Yep. He's probably, yep. you know, That's uh, furious oh. with the world. He can't shake a man's hand on those terms, but it will come around very beautifully uh, a few months later, and I think uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. I just as well if i have one complaint about aew and i have a couple but if i had to pick one it might be oftentimes their matches are just a bit too long and i was so appreciative of this at a tight 19 minutes perfect for a main Mm. event perfect for the violence that they were doing just just so well paced so well structured so well done yeah and if you compare this to another big match that got more praise in this and has a higher ranking in our match guide and has way more stars, <laughs> like has more stars than it and all this stuff. <laughs> the the match that Moxley had against Omega, like the pacing to that match is just so off compared to this. Right. This match, Eddie got to the point where he just was out of ideas and then he lost because he didn't know what else he could do and he didn't have anything else he could do. And Moxley just says it's over and then it's over. Uh, and it's just so perfect for the story. Yeah, pay, the the time and the way they escalated is just done masterfully. And it crescendos perfectly with the most violent thing they do is what ends the match. And the most emotive thing they do is also the ending of the match. Yeah, this, is, this match is so perfect. And through re-watching it, I certainly re-remembered how good this was. And I think watching these matches in isolation, if like this project that I'm doing has taught me anything, it's like when you can watch matches in isolation, you appreciate them so much more. Cause you know, for me at the time, I loved this, but it was at the end of a long pay-per-view, you know, like for me, this right. is getting towards late at night. I've got to work the next day. So, you know, I'm, you know, kind of waiting for it to end. And obviously I'm, you know, I was engaged and I love this match, but when you watch something in isolation, like you can just appreciate things like that so much more. And this just hit everything per like every metric you could have for, for what, sh- what makes a great match. This just hits them all. Um, I know you ranked this number one when we did the original rankings for the definitive match guide. And yeah, I think 
we've been just lavishing praise on it, and, and I think that that sums it up. I think so. You know, it was my number one match. Um, it'd still be near the top. I would have to weigh this against the uh, Kingston CM Punk match that I was <laughs> over the moon with uh, that happened a little more recently. But um, I think history will be kinder to matches like this as opposed mm. to maybe that lights out match that you mentioned <laughs> that did get a claim at the time. And fair, fair enough, you know, my tastes are not everyone's tastes, but I think a match like this will hold up for many yep. years, if not decades. And uh, I just appreciate so much for that. And just yeah. again, to see Eddie Kingston, a guy I believe was at, as talented as anyone in the world that you could put him up against, who I was convinced would never get a shot, would retire, never having gotten the praise and the attention he deserved, to see him in a world title match on a pay-per-view of a big, big promotion like AEW, literal dream come true. There's mm. nothing, the emotion will put this match, will push it above mm. and above and above for me as an Eddie Kingston fan, and that's why it ends up at number one for me. Yeah, absolutely, and I totally respect that. For me, riding the John Moxley fan wave in 2019, 2020, from, from sort of 2016 onwards, there was... A, a growing good. chorus of how of of how this guy wasn't it, uh, and how this guy there was a lot to dislike about him. And I thought he was done. I thought yeah. I, it's funny you should mention that uh, Ambrose Jericho feud because I saw that and I thought both these guys are both cooked, like they're done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy that feud. I thought it stunk. I thought their matches stunk. I was like, two great talents. They've just gone down the drain. They'll never come back. I really thought that. And I was so glad to be wrong. And, you know, perhaps that's a little harsh on Ambrose. I'm sure you know many hidden gems in those yeah. years. But <laughs> even so, I thought, like, do I even want Moxley in AEW? And I'm so glad he came. He's been wonderful. Um, but I get it. You know, I get what you're getting at. Yeah, like I was riding the Moxley wave, right, When and, and just feeling so much validation and happiness that I got to see this guy have the true run that I thought he could have had. Um, having thought that, you know, it may have been missed, even though getting a lot of really good years, you know, I can only imagine what that was like for you as an Eddie Kingston fan and what, <laughs> you know, the subsequent year and, and a bit so far afterwards, is, he has gone on to become this, like, folk hero within within AEW. And I honestly, like, barring the surprise debuts, right, because obviously, like, the first time CM Punk comes back is going to be the loudest thing ever. Obviously, Adam Cole debuting and then Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson debuting five minutes after is just going to be insane levels of crowd reaction. But on a regular, I think this dude is getting the loudest reactions and the most engagement of anyone in AEW. And he is not someone who should have, who was in AEW's picture at all. He could have been. He was on the indie scene. He could have been part of their initial group of talent they brought in but for whatever reason he wasn't uh and he has come from nowhere and become such a beloved figure yeah i mean there's a lot of reasons um you know you'll always hear talked about kind of his body shape and uh you know he he doesn't look exactly like what a pro wrestler maybe you think should neither did dusty Rhodes, as we all know mm. very famous promo there but um uh you know he did burn some bridges I think there probably was a conception for him as well that he was cooked, that he was done basically. 
you know, WWE wanted him to come and be a trainer. You know, they offered, like, come be a coach, but you won't wrestle. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he took a lot of people by surprise. I mentioned it before, but this is a guy who got signed at, I think, 39 years old. Mm. And, you know, for his wrestling type, you, you could be convinced, like, you know, he's probably done. But, God, he's not done. Thank God. Like, I feel like we saved the career of Eddie Kingston just in time. Mm. And that's borne out in the article. Like, I, I was saying yeah. that before even it came out. But th- this is something that so easily could not have happened. And you're right. Eddie Kingston, I think, up there with anyone in AEW in terms of his uh, crowd reaction. I I try to avoid the, like the brand wars here on the <laughs> podcast. But, man, WWE would have had Eddie Kingston and Serena Deeb coaching. God. God. Um, well, you will, uh, this is a whole nother tangent. But the yeah. 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 Ray has been locked up there for the past 10 years. And, you know, God bless her, power to her, making good money, I'm sure, yeah. probably, you know, all that stuff. I get it. But, man, it's just you can, have, you can be one of the most talented people in the world and you can just get locked up in, like, a weird position. If that works to you, great. But it's sad Matt, as a man to see it. Does Matt Bloom have another run in him? <laughs> I want to – we've got to get back – I always had a soft spot, so maybe one day. Um, How did you feel about how this ultimate story got resolved down at at Revolution? The next pay-per-view, of course, um, John Moxley is in the exploding barbed wire death match with with Omega, a match we covered a a number of weeks ago now on the the podcast with This Is Awesome. Go back and listen to that, um, where we go in depth about that match. But, of course, at the end, the um the idea is the explosion's about to go off and Eddie Kingston runs out and covers over John Moxley and you know these two then go and form a partnership. How did you feel about the resolution to the the personal conflict these two had these two had? Well, it was an absolutely wonderful idea and it was almost pulled off perfectly. I mean, uh, I still remember the look on Eddie Kingston's face, the way he ran out to protect Moxley, who was down and out. And uh, certainly the idea was, like, he could be seriously hurt. He can't defend himself in this position. Using handcuffs. Right, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, of course. But, well, we know what happened. <laughs> you know, yeah. it didn't really come off the way they wanted it to. And they did a very admirable job of salvaging that. And uh, I think that fairly major hiccup aside, uh, it's been wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. their partnership has been so good. Their match with the Young Bucks is probably one of my Brilliant. favorite Young Bucks matches that I have watched. Mm. They, they're they such a natural partnership. I remember when they started just doing promos, uh, you know, just them two, like, sitting together and talking to the camera. And, God, it was just some of the best promo stuff, again, that we've heard in AEW. Just, like, mm. effortless, it seemed like. So it, it's been very good. I can't wait to see them meet up again when Moxley comes back. Mm. My question now, um, I, I've, of course, loved it as well, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. This is being recorded just at the tail of 2021, so Moxley is still out. He hasn't been seen in on AEW TV for a while, taking a break to deal with his personal issues. All power to him for that. If anything, that yeah, break has only unleashed. I say yeah. him and Kingston, the way they have been open about dealing with oh. their personal issues is just the most amazing thing because in an industry that is full of, uh, you know, what some might call toxic masculinity, certainly full of a lot of people kind of shoving down their problems, taking them out on others, taking them out on themselves. Mm. 
these two guys have been so open about depression, alcoholism, all this stuff that mm. they might have to deal with. And it's great. I praise them both so highly for that. Oh, absolutely. Two of the toughest, like, rawest, most intense individuals and just being so, you know, being so open about their personal struggles. It's be- it's, it's really positive. And, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where the, where it goes. I thought it was heading one direction. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> we won't date that, this podcast too much by via speculating. <laughs> but what I wanted to ask you, Ms. Fan, is we've said before, we've said at the start, Eddie Kingston doesn't look like a pro wrestler. He's not what you picture when you say a pro, when you say pro wrestler. Uh, and, you know, AEW is a promotion that that has been very methodical with its booking, particularly of the world championship. You know, I think if you, there, there's probably out there, there's probably like a piece of paper floating around. Um, I'd love to see a picture of it one day, hopefully in like a memoir or biography or something um, that just says Jericho, Moxley, Kenny, Omega, Hangman Page. I'm going to guess MJF next in line. Uh, maybe like Darby Allen or John Moxley against, but <clears throat> Eddie Kingston to me is someone who obviously is not that piece of paper because he wasn't even there at the time, but he is someone who has such a following. What do you think his ceiling in AEW is? And do you think it's possible he could become champion? With Eddie Kingston, nothing's impossible because uh, not only was he not invited, he wasn't even supposed to be there ever. Uh, It was almost an accident. He wasn't supposed to get a world title shot ever. It was like almost an accident, but more than an accident, it's something that happens because Eddie Kingston is so good. So I will never say that it's impossible, mm. but I will say, and I hope to be wrong because I'd love to see it, but I will say Eddie Kingston will never be AEW champion. Okay. I don't believe yep. that will happen. I wish it could. I would be, I'd be jumping out of my seat, the happiest man alive. But as you say, the way they booked their world title and the number of people potentially in line for that title – Danielson, Punk, Miro, uh, God knows who else, you know, all Hmm. these people, um, Darby Allen, MJF, it's never going to happen. I wish it would, but I I just don't see it. I think he will be a superb uh, TNT champion at some point, and I look forward to seeing it. Mm. Yeah, look, I put a, just before we jumped on, on air today to record this, I put a tweet out just saying, hey, I'm about to do a podcast uh, about that'll be talking about Eddie Kingston. What do you think his ceiling in AEW is? And a lot of people, uh, I'll shout out the people who did Smoke Junkie, uh, Big underscore, underscore Big underscore Ben, I think double underscore there. <laughs> and then uh, Saba the Joe, he's a good lad. Um, they all said, world champion but they all said not for long I, I really liked the idea so smoke junkie said taking it from moxley in moxley's second run which would be an interesting you know twist on it and uh another bloke hollingworth m um Hule's angel thesis <laughs> said world champion i really think it started this idea against punk and danielson that he didn't live up to his promise, etc. And they already referenced it in a match with Mox, the promise he made his mum, uh, a long arc leading to a, an unlikely fairy tale win. Uh, there was one guy who said uh, that tag team or TNT title holder, um, that's mid 
I'll just call him Danny. <laughs> That's what his thing is. I'm not even going to try and pronounce this. His, his Twitter username. They, he said tag team or TNT title holder. Very talented, just not quite enough to get to the very top, especially with all the talent in AEW. So that guy, I think, echoing what you've said. But I, man, I just, like, I've had my Moxley run, right? That was a dream for me. And this year has just shown me what an incredible talent Eddie Kingston is in particular, like this year, 2021, obviously I saw it in, I got a glimpse of it in 2020, but this year in 2021, towards the end, he's had really high profile programs with, with Danielson and Punk where he, he has outshone them on the mic. He outshone CM Punk on the mic. That's incredible. That's insane. I was electrified out of my seat in that Kingston promo. Yeah. Like, I ho- I just hope they can make room on that list of people for him because give him a pay-per-view cycle as champion. This is a this is a guy who can do it. And it's not just saying like as a oh let's just say thank you to you run, but like this is a guy who I think could do it. And I'm hope like he's the one that I'm going to be writing for. Um, yeah. from, from this point onwards, even though like I'll always love Moxley, of course, but Eddie Kingston is going to be a guy that I want to see. More than anyone else, I want to see him on the top of the heap. Definitely you and me both for one yeah. month, for one week, for one day, I would take just yeah. uh, his name on the list of world champions. I'd say if there is a pathway and if uh, you are correct and others, uh, MJF will beat Hangman Page. Let Kingston upset MJF. Oh. Let MJF win it right back. He can brag yeah. so much for the first two-time AEW champion. It's great for MJF. It would be a huge thing for Eddie to beat him. If there is a pathway, I think that's it, and I would love to see it. I am skeptical both times, or more than two. Like, every time Eddie Kingston's in a big match, people are like, they need to call an audible and let him win, and they never do. <laughs> guilty. Never I'm guilty. <laughs> they did it uh, with Foxley, with Danielson, with Punk, uh, everybody. Um, so I'm skeptical, but I would love to see it. But you know what? Them not doing it for those just means the time they finally do, if they do it, is going to be incredible. Look, if there's a pay-per-view scheduled for New York, in like New York, <laughs> post-double oh, up next it. year, like, man, the bat signal's going to be going up hard for that. <laughs> oh, man, we are, we're fast running out of time, Ms. Fan. I love this chat. Um, did you have anything you wanted to say before we, before we jump off today? Well, if we can do it without taking too much time, I think you mentioned you also want to talk just a little bit about John Moxley's reign. Um, ah, yes. That and just say, and I think you'll like this. In my opinion, John Moxley is not only still the best AEW champion that we've had. I think he probably had the best babyface title run in the last 20 years. I can't think of anybody who stands up with him. You got your John Cena, of course, but always marred and kind of like the half the people hate him, all this stuff, you know. And all respect to John Cena, who has definitely grown on me over the years. But, like, putting him aside, I don't even know who could be in competition with John Moxley's run here. I think he just had the greatest string of title defenses, of feuds, of just all-around compelling performances mm. that we've seen in a long time. 
Yeah, look, because I've I've written that I literally wrote that article the day after I'd been planning that article for a while, and the day after he lost it, I po- I finished it and posted it. Because I agree, I I absolutely agree. The 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 people that others bring up, I I caveated and said that it's the best in America because I do think there's an argument for both Hashi and Okada. Uh, in yeah. New Japan, and the runs that they had as IWGP champion are, are pretty pretty incredible. The reason I caveated it is because what is expected of you in New Japan and what's expected of you in AEW on a week-to-week, match-to-match basis is just so completely different, and and it's like apples and oranges sort of stuff. So I, I, I kind of caveated with that. Maybe that's me taking the easy way out. Who knows? Um in my heart, it's definitely the best. But the other one that people people brought up was uh, CM Punk. I really like CM Punk, but that reign was more long than good, which is something yeah. that I think people confuse a little too mm. much in wrestling. Yeah, and and it didn't have the variety that the Moxley one had. It didn't have, I feel like it didn't have, from a match-to-match basis, like the personal emotional stakes that Moxley had. Yeah, and it had I mean, that stupid heel turn in the middle, and like just mm, yeah. for every good thing in Punk's reign, there was also like a bad thing. So mm. I can't go that far. And it was living in the shadow of John Cena and The Rock, um, which and John was... Laurinaitis. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was nothing like that in this one. <laughs> the only the only <laughs> lawyer that got involved got absolutely dumped on his head like <laughs> in twenty seconds. So uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree with you there. You won't you won't need to convince me on that. Yeah, and this is the the final match before he lost it to Kenny Omega. What a note to have as your final successful defense. So intensely personal, and and everything that I love about John, the John Moxley Championship reign rolled up into a match. I think I as an individual match, like I, I really like the Brody Lee one, um, which also covered on this podcast. Uh, but but as a feud, like this is this is the best feud that he had as as champion, and I think probably one of the best feuds that there's been in AEW. The Kenny Kenny Omega and Hangman Page was also brilliant, but two very different things. Like that's something that's been intricately planned and executed over two years, and this came about over the course of four weeks. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So very, very different sorts of of feel, but both incredible feuds and and stories. Absolutely. Um, that is all that I have to touch on. Thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, to all those out there, I'm at Spectral Gent on Twitter. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. And uh, do if you have a mind to check out uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com and LPForums.com for some very nice uh, wrestling conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you can find me, Sir underscore Samuel, on Twitter. Uh, come and talk to me about this match. Talk about Eddie Kingston or John Moxley. Love to engage in conversation about any of them. Thank you for coming on for the second time, Ms. Fan. I really enjoyed it, and I love the chance to dig into this match between two of our absolute favourites. That was always going to be fun. So thank you for making the time to do that today. And also, thank you to everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, This podcast just... It's been so fun for me and it's such a journey and I'm so glad that there's people out there who are also enjoying it as well. So thank you for listening and I will see you again next week to review just another fantastic match that's happening. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.